0: for for some reason it it encapsulates this this feeling of like a dread behind the 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 attempt to like f- force happiness
1: this is essential tremors i'm lee gardner i'm matt byers The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about three songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs, necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives, or their lives in general. This episode's guest is Jana Hunter, the lead singer and primary songwriter of Baltimore-based band Lower Dens. Lower Dens are an indie pop band formed in 2010 by Hunter. Over the course of three albums, the band has shifted from scrappy guitar music to a lush synth-colored sound to significant acclaim. Hunter, 39, is a native of Houston, Texas. first song that Jana considers a formative moment is an unlikely choice. So unlikely, in fact, that it took Jana, Lee, me, and an acoustic guitar to identify it. Here's Frank Mills' 1979 top 40 hit Music Box Dancer.
0: Yeah, Music Box Dancer is something that I I really can't place like the time that I heard it when I was a kid, but it's something that I associate with my childhood. It could have been played in ice cream trucks. That might have been it. It also came on the radio during that time. For some reason, it it encapsulates this, this feeling of like a dread behind the... uh the The attempt to like f- force happiness uh, in music like that, it uh, which very much for me was like associated with like personal family stuff, but then over time has like retained that feeling in a more general way, and uh, and made me kind of attuned to that capability in music of uh, of of having different layers of meaning and specifically of the uh, the possibility of of presenting people with dark elements hidden in happy sounding music and how powerful that tension is which is something that I you know it, it it comes up in the music that I write and I still like I you know I barely ever think of that song but when I or hear it but whenever I do think of it I still get kind of creeped out by it. And I do think it's universal, especially, um, especially like the older that we are. Like I think, I think you, you know, you go back further in generations, and there was more and more of a tendency to not talk about things, and uh, and somehow, music like this, for me, is representative of that desire to like ignore the problems and and uh, put a sheen on everything. And act as though, act in the way that you want to be interpreted by your neighbors, um, to the detriment of your health and your sanity.
1: That's Jana Hunter of Baltimore indie pop band Lower Dens talking about the song Music Box Dancer by Frank Mills. The second song Jana chose as being formative for them is Asleep by the Smiths.
0: I have several older siblings. One of them's eight years older than me. He was in high school uh, when I was um, he's yeah, he was in high school when I was in like elementary school and he, I was very annoying to him you know, I I, I idolized him and he didn't want me anywhere near him and he listened to the best music of all my older siblings uh, whom I hope will never hear that and uh, make me argue with him about it, but he listened to New Order and Joy Division, and the, the thing that I really loved the most was Smith's. And anytime he played it, uh, since he wouldn't let me come into his room, I would sit outside his room and listen to it. And the song, uh, Asleep, uh, was, uh, e- even then, just like the saddest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah, but at the same time, really calming. And I was a sad kid, and I I wanted to listen to that song over and over again. And yeah, in just a very personal way, that song has stuck stuck with me for a long time. You know, because we we live in a world that's that's uh, not easy to live in sometimes, and sometimes you need a song that reminds you that other people feel that way too.
2: You know, I think there are lots of cases where someone writes a song and they have uh, an intended meaning that they want to convey, you know, they want to evoke a certain emotional state or a a type of experience that a lot of people have. I think a lot of times people write songs and then they go out in the world and sometimes people have uh, a very strong association, but it's not one you could have predicted or one you could have uh, planned, you know, when you wrote it. Do you have experiences um, with uh, Lower Dens where someone comes up to you and and they really connect with a, a song you've written and maybe they have done that in a way that has nothing to do with what you were you had in mind when you wrote it?
0: Uh... I feel like that 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 has happened. I can't recall any specific instances of it. Uh, What it does make me think of is talking to um, Devendra Banhart about a song that he wrote. It's on his... I was just listening to one of his old records the other day. And uh, he has this song called Nice People. And when I heard it, I thought he was, you know, he was saying these... You know, he's singing like they certainly are nice people. The way he's singing, it makes you think... He really doesn't like them, and uh, and when I finally got to talk to him about it, he was like, "No, I really meant to say they were nice people. I don't know why everybody thinks <laughs> thinks that, but it's so to me, it's so obvious. It's so creepy." Uh, but anyway, in my in my own experience, yeah, I I, I mean that probably has happened, um, but uh, I mean I think that's a really important thing about music is that it you know be a be allowed to be interpreted by the listener, and I don't think, as an artist, you should uh, try so, so hard to enforce a certain meaning on other people.
1: The third and final song Jana chose as being important to them is Vivaldi's Four Seasons,
0: So I started playing the violin when I was a kid in school and uh, and was really competitive, so I would practice all the time so that I could be the best in the class. And I, I genuinely think that's like what it was about for me at first. I, I enjoyed music, but I mostly I just wanted to be the best at something. Until we got to, in uh, like seventh or eighth grade, we got to... Um, Baroque music, and we started playing Vivaldi and Bach. And what I remember specifically was was getting to play these uh, Vivaldi violin concertos. Uh, and and the one I remember best is this like first movement of uh, the concerto in A minor. It it was the one that made me realize that I that I um, th- that I really loved what were able to do what people were able to do just with like, composition of music uh, how somehow it could it could translate to you know the complexity of, of being alive in a way that like I didn't feel like was possible uh, between me and other people you know but I could relate to this and it's when I started to, to feel like some sort of uh, relation to to classical composers and to other people who were feeling or seeing the world in more layers than I felt like most of my classmates or you know family friends were. Uh, and and you know and I guess it I guess it's possible. Like now I find myself more and more drawn into drawn into sound and drawn into composition and production, much more so than, than songwriting. And I think that could have been the genesis of that because uh, because he does, and, and of course Bach does, so much with so little one, one instrument and they convey like a, a universe compared to what we're able to do with all our computers and synthesizers and everything. Yeah.
2: Um, did you keep up with the violin?
0: I did until uh, my senior year of high school, and then I uh, I didn't go to college and couldn't afford uh, private lessons. So I still have it, and I and I pick and I pull it out and and record it this sometimes, but I don't uh, practice anymore.
2: Do you think that that was something that you would have pursued if you had had the opportunity?
0: Yeah, I really wanted to, I really wanted to, but I, uh, you know, and and in a in a really kind of a silly way, sometimes I still feel like this little bit of like loss uh, at not having pursued it, but 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 if I had my life would have been very narrow you know that's a very narrow life to live and and I and I have every respect for the people who choose to do that but I'm glad that I that I got to live a much more broad varied eccentric kind of life
2: do you feel like um you know talking about focusing on composition do you think that the music that you make now is does or is getting toward that that area that you're talking about where you can do so much with so little where you can um, connect with this bigger world with something you create you know in your bedroom in your brain
0: yeah I mean I I, in a sense uh, especially with lower dens have always been trying to find ways to do that to for myself like varying degrees of success and in, in, in very you know in very different ways um And, and I remember when I was a solo artist, when people would ask what my influences were, and I'd say, well, actually, I played classical music as a kid, and I still, that's a very strong influence for me. And they would say, well, I don't see that. I mean, you use guitars. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's true. Um, I don't... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know how to explain how... The ideas in classical music can uh, be a driving force behind any other kind of music, and vice versa, you know? Like, music is not confined—for for composers and musicians, music is not confined to genres. We have preferences, and we have uh, techniques and, and uh, areas of practice and expertise, but it's not like that, you know?
2: Well, you know, I think that pretty much any time it applies, you can count on profile writers to say classically trained, so and so. Although I don't know if I've seen that associated with uh, with you that much, but they it's always in there as if that sort of somehow puts people at a different level.
0: Yeah, and like, that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, I don't know if you need, if you need this podcast to be clean or whatever. Okay, it it. it uh, it's uh, it reminds me of a friend of mine keeps a list of names that are uh, difficult to pronounce if you didn't get a like a, a, a very good education, and he uh, does this to point out the fact that that these are this is a way that uh, upper class people uh, quote unquote, look down on lower class people, they enjoy correcting you when you say the name wrong, and I uh, I hate the idea of classical music being used that way, and I and I hate the very much, like, present um class uh, condescension that, that exists in the classical music world for me it has nothing, that has uh nothing to do with my attraction to classical music the the notion that it uh, elevates you in some status way
2: well it elevates you or it can but just because you have access to it doesn't elevate you as a person
0: right yeah I mean it elevates you in that it makes your life richer if you take it in but anybody can do that
1: This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by Matt Byers and Lee Gardner with oversight and special assistance from Aaron Hankin. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR, Baltimore's NPR affiliate, which you can find on the web at wypr.org. Connect with us at essentialpodcast.com as well as all standard social media outlets. Thanks for listening.